Okay, and we're live. Oh. So this is the uh, tape call, and I am talking to Betty about uh, her life and her journey because uh, she's my aunt, and she's been a very stable person in my life for a very long time. And I thought other people would be interested to kind of hear about Betty and her um, where she's at today. Some people might not know that she has cancer. She has leukemia. And um, I kind of wanted to um, just talk to her because when we have these conversations over the years, I really just feel very, it's a very stable person and I don't feel judged. And she always has a very interesting perspective and just amazing stories. So I wanted to share that with some people um, because she's, just meant a lot to me over the years. So um, Betty was a, a wonderful missionary in Amman, Jordan for 31 years. And um, then she's been back in the States living in Salem, Oregon uh, at, for the last 16 years and uh, uh, goes to Salem Alliance Church and lives across the street. So Betty Howard, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit where you're at today, um, where you're at in your apartment? We were just talking about um, you like to have structure in your environment, and I just am fascinated by that because some of my first memories of you at, when I was a little kid, would you would get packages of, like, pre-cooked chicken and put them in little Ziploc bags and so you could bring out, like, one little package of chicken. I'm still doing it. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, like I'll get chicken from Costco and then um, weigh it out in three-ounce bags, baggies, uh-huh. um, and then freeze them. And I do that thing with tuna fish and turkey burgers. And so that is my three-day cycle. I know I should try to get a little more beef for the iron, but, um, and it was so funny, um, but that's a bit of a challenge for me, because they're <laughs> going to have to stop and cook them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> and your your apartment is so small, it would probably smell up the apartment for four days. Yeah, it does. It does. My apartment is 450 square feet, and it's absolutely perfect for me. Yeah. Um, Just, I feel so grateful to be in this apartment. Um, It's clean and wonderful. I have uh, both a front door and a back door um, on the ground floor. It's in a three triplex. A group, and so I do all the gardening. Um, wow, nice. There's two, three, three apartment, and so then we have a, a nice walkway between, and I do all the gardening. Um, I plant flowers and bushes and have done that since I moved in. Wow. It's such a gift. Uh, in Behind my apartment, I have a little narrow space, and I do um, cherry tomatoes in buckets. <laughs> that's oh, that's there, nice. But, yeah. So. How long have you lived there? Uh, 
Well, I've lived in this particular apartment um, for 16 years, and it's really great because I have big windows, and it looks out on a very friendly um, group of homes that uh, people really are careful about their gardening and really oh. into gardening. And so um, I'm very blessed with that to feel very much a part of a neighborhood. And I have, I know all my neighbors really well and yeah. they, watch, they really watch out for me. Uh, yeah. It's hard being single. Um, I watch out for my neighbor across the street and we have a little system um, that uh, he goes out and gets the newspaper six days a week. And um, so I know that he's safe and um, that's our like little system. So I don't feel like call him and harass him or anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he, he's 81. Pardon? Oh. He's 81. So he's getting up there and he's got a little yeah, puppy. That's so how, uh, that's how old I am now. 81. Yeah. Yeah. But my but health he, is excellent uh, except for this um, less energy because of the leukemia. So mm-hmm. I get a, a shot in my tummy every other week to try to boost my red blood cells. Um, right now, it's just maintaining, and that's what will be for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And the hospital's like 10 minutes away, so. That's good. And you still yeah. drive yourself and everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a gift. Wow. Yeah, that's I, good. I would get. I like to be out and about and see things. So. Yeah, I really like gardening too. We go, I go over and talk to my neighbor about gardening. He's really into gardening too. So, he buys a lot of his plants online, which is kind of a, oh. a neat deal. He just gets. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Jordan because it's been such a, an amazing kind of. Um, uh, it's kind of a flagstone in your journey. Um, but uh, also I'm really curious about what you're doing today, like with the halfway house and the ladies that you're helping there. So where would you like to start? Well, I could start um, with Jordan and okay. why I ever went there. Yeah, that's I good. did, did that. Um, well, I, I, I can never remember exactly. I, anyway, I graduated from Ohio University in Southern Ohio in Athens. Okay. And then I came um, to Oregon and I taught uh, for two years in a black-white school, predominantly black. And I really loved that. And um, we had a federal program help giving all kinds of aid, and we had a, a teacher's aid that worked well, not a specialist working with reading. And um, those kids, in I taught fourth grade, and out of the 24, 18 um, were in counseling, and. Um, maybe at a two, grade two level reading. And so uh-huh. uh, we really worked hard. The specialist helped me 
helped us so much, and I I learned so much from her about spelling. Oh, interesting. Systems, and so... She had all the tips and tricks. Oh, and she had a whole system that was very good. So we sort of did that together as a class. And, um, yeah, finally I learned the alphabet <laughs> with, with the kids. That was very helpful if you want to use a dictionary. Yeah. I and still I, have the, the alphabet listed out um, by my desk because I get confused. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I understand. Okay. Yeah, and um, but I knew that I could, and I also belonged to a black church at that time because I was very interested in cross-cultural, even back then. And um, I knew I could help the children socially and emotionally and educationally, but I really wanted to help them spiritually and because of the education system, I I didn't have that freedom. And then I just felt like the Lord wanted me to go on and get uh, Bible training my undergraduate was in um, elementary education. So I applied and went to Wheaton to do a master's degree in Bible. But at that time, um, they didn't have um, a degree in just English Bible. I, would have, I needed to learn Greek. And wow. I at, at that time I still didn't know I had dyslexia. Really? Even after you were yeah. teaching and everything, you didn't know yeah, you had dyslexia. Never, never heard the word. Wow. Even in all my training. Huh. Yeah, it was just still all a mystery. What year was that? Approximately like mid. Uh, uh, mid the late. Oh, when I taught. Um, uh, when you were going to Wheaton. Oh, uh, let's see. I worked my way through, and because of my dyslexia, it took me four years to do that master's uh-huh. degree. I graduated in 70. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So that was good. Like, high school in Canada was very hard. And up there I had maybe a 1.5 and... Wow. I finished Ohio U at 2.2, and I finished uh, Wheaton at 3.2. Slowly, you know, my brain was getting adjusted to a new learning style. But yeah. It's been a long process. So when I was at Wheaton, um, I was also doing... Um, inner city work in the south side of Chicago and I would drive in um, every week and go up in the high rises that were then demolished because they were so, they were centers of so much crime and killing and everything. But I would drive in there by myself every week and go up in the high rises and do Bible study. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, people couldn't believe, I just, I don't know, just fearless about it. Did you feel intimidated at all? I mean, that's amazing. Really? Where did did that come from? 
Well, um, but fearless. I, I, you know, if we went back, um, it's just something God put in me: this tenacity um, to push forward. Because I really, even when I finished middle school um, in London, Ontario, they, uh, the principal, really tried to convince me and my parents to go to a trade school because he didn't think I could do a regular academic high school. Hmm. And I I said, no, no, I'm I'm going to a regular high school. I don't want to be sidelined into a trade like hairdressing or... Interesting. I really had that same connection in high school. I wanted just to do like normal high school um i didn't want to be like segregated i can really relate to that Uh, that's interesting but you know i came out with low d's out of high school but i did pass and yeah miracle that ohio university accepted me not even on probation interesting yeah uh, maybe wrote a good essay (laughs) Uh, no, the registrar, he had this idea that anyone who graduated from an Ontario high school, because it was so hard, it was all just rigorous, rote learning, memorization, that they could make it. Yeah, you know, huh. it, it was almost like God blinded him to my reality. Yeah, so, nice, yeah. Yeah, so then when uh, I loved going to the inner city, and then one summer I lived down in the little ghetto part of South Chicago. Um, I had mouse traps all around my bed. Um, The mice and the rats were walking the walls outside my door, window, and Wow, what a crazy memory. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. And we had a, um, a youth center. So at that time, um, it was sort of like I was commissioned as a graduate school missionary to go to the inner city hmm. for the summer. And um, that fall, um, Martin Luther King was killed. Anyway, during the summer, I was doing Bible studies with women in the neighborhood. And that fall, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and there were riots in Chicago. Wow. And the very people I'd been doing Bible study and were part of our, our center ransacked and stole everything. Really? So I'm going back to Wheaton and crying out to God, how, you know, I'm doing everything I know about, you know, helping them pray for salvation and do Bible studies. But obviously, their lives haven't changed. Their values haven't changed. Yeah. How can I think about going into any kind of ministry if, if, I can get people to say the right things, but it doesn't affect their lives. 
Yeah. And, and I thought, okay, I'll give one more semester to Wheaton, and Lord, you've got to show me the way through, or I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just going to have to leave because this, this is hypocrisy. Almost, mm-hmm. you know? And um, <clears throat> that fall, I met a line. Uh, a Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries doing graduate work, and they began to tell me about the work of the Holy Spirit, and that the reason that God gives um, success is because the Spirit of God is doing that in us. Well, I'm from a very strict Baptist background where we just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, or any present uh, um, expression of the Holy Spirit or work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. So that was a big, um, that was a lot for me to take in. Yeah. I think what I'm curious about is how you can be patient with people and let the Holy Spirit do its work. How, How are you so patient with people um, I've always admired that about you, to let people work their process. Um, well, you know, Ben, that is, I am in the process of learning that. Uh, I am, because the Lord just keeps putting me in a, into situations where it's so far beyond me. I, I, you know, I could try to convince people of um, a certain truth or a, a way of life that um, seems profitable to me, but um, they've got to go through their own journey. Oh my god! Yeah, they really do. And and so, how do you have self care um, to be that oh, patient? Oh, you've hit a major piece in my life. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school in um, London, uh-huh. I was part of what was called Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship, but it was a high school version. And that's where I was really um, taught and encouraged to have a daily time of sit down with God of reading the Bible and okay. really thinking it through. And to this day... That is a daily. Maybe in a year I might miss three or four days. But wow. that, if I don't do that, I'm dead in the water. Because I am yeah. so extremely dependent on God. Uh-huh. And, and um, sometimes I totally misstep. And he talks to me as I read the Bible and bring things to my mind, and I journal. And I can't tell you how often the Lord has said to me, Betty, humble yourself. Humble yourself and go back and correct that. Interesting. Or or think about, uh, you know, um, humble yourself and tell that person you misstep. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And make things clear with people as I'm making things clear with God. And then I just, you know, this is God. Because that's what happened then finally at Wheaton. The Holy Spirit really came into my life and turned me upside down. 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. And then I was having my quiet time one morning, and I was reading in Matthew about going and making disciples of all nations. And then this is I just this is my experience, but it was like I turned around and he was talking to me. It was really vivid. And wow. at that point, I felt God was calling me to missions, but I didn't want to be a missionary because you know missionaries. Losers. That was my, <laughs> that was my childhood um, perception, and so I had to work that through with God as I submitted to Him, and then hmm. um, I applied to the Christian Missionary Alliance, um, and they was that through Wheaton? Uh, it was just not through the the whole church group of uh, Alliance churches. Oh, okay. And because they really believe strongly in the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's why you chose to them? Yeah, because at that point, you know, I wish had become charismatic. And um, most, like SIM that Eldon was with, if you were charismatic, they wouldn't even look at you. Oh. It was a big no-no. Oh, Okay. And what is, uh, you mentioned Eldon, that's your older brother, and yeah. he was a missionary too. Yes, with Sudan Interior Mission in uh, Africa. And okay. then um, he later was transferred to their headquarters in, I think it's South Carolina. And uh-huh. anyway, and um, he was very clear with me that any um, charismatic experiences or teaching that I believed in. And most missions wouldn't have anything to do with you at that point. Huh. You know, this was in the 70s and yeah. it totally unacceptable. And um, I remember friends of my parents um, when I was getting ready to go to Anyway, the Alliance was sending single missionaries to Beirut at that time. Oh, so okay. I was preparing to go, and I remember um, visiting the folks when they lived in Whittier. Oh, okay. And uh, one of their good friends said, Betty, you know, you're, you've joined the Alliance. That's a cult. They, they believe in the work of the spirit in our age and that's just not correct <laughs> and I you know, I know and I believe it and God has just totally changed my life through this growing of the spirit in my life and it's okay yeah they had um, critics and haters yeah. back then too not just um, that hasn't been a new thing with Facebook <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> Oh, no. And um, so um, I, at Wheaton, I'd gotten to know uh, another Alliance missionary who was doing graduate work, Colleen. And so she also applied to go to Beirut. And so we went together. So I lived in Beirut for five uh, years. Wow. From 1970 to 75. And it was during that time that Beirut, again, just went into huge 
civil war because of Israel and those refugee camps. And I remember even being in my apartment in Beirut uh, up on a high hill that looked down into a valley. We were right on the edge of a refugee camp. And so then uh, there was a lot of um, upheaval and civil war began in Beirut in Lebanon. And I'd watch these planes zoom over, dive, drop their stuff, their bombs go straight up and on. And these would go on for days and days. Um, But then finally we were uh, evacuated to a safer part of Beirut. Well, that's good. How many people did you work with? You mentioned Colleen. Yeah, well, I I was part of, uh, let's see, there must have been a team of maybe, there were six, I think, of us um, at that point, and uh, we were, we had an international church in um, West Beirut, and um, so that was a team I was working with at that point and trying to learn Arabic at the same time, which was a disaster. Again, <laughs> but you I, did it eventually, right? Well, I got good enough to do street Arabic. <laughs> but just how God worked, because he led me to women who had um, good and growing English. Oh, okay. So I could do most of my ministry in English of discipling women to grow and Uh so that grew and grew but then I came on my first furlough which is what we used to call them now they call it home assignment and at that point my uh, folks had moved to Salem for six months so I joined the Salem Alliance Church and did uh, because I was new to the Alliance did an internship with them to learn more um, and then every home assignment since then, I've come back to Salem. They, they've just been family for me. Oh, that's nice. And that was in 1975? Yeah. Okay, yeah. wow. Yeah. And um, Dick, um, that, that summer, I don't know if he was between U of all and Viola, or I don't remember. Anyway, he lived with me. The two of us in the place. But really? Wow. I never heard about that. Yeah, but in the meantime, they moved up to Tadmar. Oh, okay. Um, to do business. Management. Yeah, they they were the managers there. The, of the... Yeah, that camp. Huh. Yeah, so I just, I stayed in Salem, and then um, at the end of the year, because it was too dangerous for uh, single women to go back to Lebanon because the Civil War was just horrible. So mm-hmm. they sent me at that point then to Jordan. Oh, okay. That's why you went to Jordan. Interesting. Yeah, and um, it was just, again, God, uh, the way he worked, um, the capital city of Oman was crowded with refugees 
um, from Lebanon. And so um, I was, uh, I went and lived in a smaller town, Mufrock, out in the desert, hmm. an hour and uh, hour and fifteen minutes from the capital. And um, that was just so perfect because it was truly an Arab experience. Where in Beirut and in Amman, it's a little mixture of West and East. But out there in Mufrak, I was totally into Arabic and forced to really work on my Arabic and did everything in Arabic and entered the culture in a way I never would have if I'd stayed in the larger cities. Oh, wow. They, like, threw you into the deep end, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the last year I was there, I was there all alone. Um, Colleen had gone back to the States to take care of her parents. And um, so that I turned 40 when I was out there. And this was pretty significant to me. I remember just thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm 40. I'm not married. I don't have kids, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just like the Lord just said to me, Betty, what's this pity party? You you are where you want to be. You love what you're doing of um, discipling women and helping them grow in their relationship with God. Uh, You know, yeah, and you. This yeah. is working. Wow. So I got up, and in the Arab culture, you throw the party for your birthday. Oh, perfect. So, we, so I made a cake and a jello, because back then we didn't have ice cream out in the desert. And I took it to my Bible study, and they said, Oh, is it your birthday? And they put a big candle in the cake. and saying happy birthday, and that's when, uh, as I started looking forward and just slowly, I began to believe, and I do today, that God has given me the gift of singleness for for the kingdom of God, because as a single person, I can enter into situations much deeper than if I was married, because like if you're a married missionary and you have children, well, you have a husband, of course, and children, yeah. and it's very common for couples. One wants to be more, dive into the culture, and the other wants to hold on to their marriage. It's just more complicated, yeah. And then you've got children. How do you help them live um between cultures and it's just very complicated. And yeah. uh, uh, um, some of my other missionary friends said, you know, families are so easy to say, oh, come and have dinner with us because you're one person. But if you're a right. family of five, it's just, and families slowly just began to adopt me into their family. Yeah. I remember uh, even when I was a kid, you would say, oh, you know, this this family adopted me and they're letting me stay at their beach house. And I was like, that was a foreign concept to me because people have adopted you over the years. That's really true. Oh, all over the place. Yeah. All over the place. 
and we would just stay at random people's houses. But you always did such an amazing job of respecting their space and being a guest in their home, you know, as if they were there with you. So. And uh, that was one of the things I loved about being with you kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'd walk in, I remember, okay, look at everything. See how all the pillows were situated, what everything looks like. Okay, when we leave, this is what it's got to look like. Yeah, that's and funny. And we would just enjoy it, but boy, both you and Chris would really help me get things right back to where they looked like. Yeah. And clean, and so that's why people kept, um, they would say, oh, like Sherry and Malcolm Marsh, oh, come, uh, Sherry likes me to come, come because um, then I know when I come home I'll have a clean house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, and we really did use it. I remember making a cake from a Julia Child cookbook when I was like 11 years old. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, at their beach house. Yeah. yeah. All these different Manzanita down in Newport, and we stayed uh-huh. at Detroit Lake. I remember when uh, we stayed at Manzanita, you did a lot of crab fishing. Uh huh. Oh and yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and Chris wanted to go down to see the shop, so I'd sort of see other families. Um, and I said, will you keep an eye on my nephew because we're going down to yeah. the other part. And uh, you just yeah. were so Make good. it all work. Yeah, yeah. You, you kids were just so great to take. And, of course, yeah. it made it so much more wonderful for me to have you with me. So. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was my sister Kristen for context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. So that year, so then in 1980, I came back to okay. Salem again. I was here for a year. Then because um, people in Ahmed were hearing more and more about how I was discipling women uh-huh. Not in that training, um, they asked if I would be assigned to the capital city of Amman. Oh, but wow. Then I, I would still go out to Mufra once a week, and I just uh, it was just straight, flat desert between Amman and Mufra. No cactus, no bush, no nothing. And um, I learned that if I was going to Muffrock, I had to stop drinking anything two hours ahead. There was no potty. <laughs> wow. I also Would you take a bus or something then? No, I had a car. Oh, okay. uh, even in Beirut, um, I had a car. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so then I remember once going out, to Muffrock, and I would get out, I don't remember coming or going, and my car would just suddenly stop. Just for no reason. Wow. Uh, and that happened, oh, three or four times, and then it didn't happen anymore. And when I came back to Salem that time, uh, one of my 
friends said, Betty, what was happening on, say, Thursday? It would have been at certain, certain time. Um, I would wake up, you know, it would be 10 hours different, and pray for you. Really? And then you, and then the burden would lift, and I would go back to sleep. I would, oh my goodness, that was exactly the same time. When your car broke down? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Very, very fascinating. Yeah, very, yeah. very fast. Anyway, so then the next four years, I was in uh, from oh, you know, eighty to eighty. Or I was in a man and got to know more people and doing Bible study and got real involved with um, uh, a senator's family and um, became a real part of that family. They were multimillionaires and um, and that was an interesting experience and. Through that mm-hmm. connection, I went to some palaces for dinners. And, oh, that sounds uh, fun. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was an experience. I remember going to one dinner, and everything in that at that dinner had been flown in from Harrods in London. Oh, wow. Can you believe it? And, of course, <laughs> Her Highness was there, and... Anyways, it was a good experience. But then I was also getting really involved in the refugee camp because Palestinians had been pushed out of what today is Israel and spending time down there in the refugee camp. And that was a very humbling, humbling time. And yeah. the Bible studies in my Alliance Church. Huh. Anyway, that. All the world um, with a princess and the the a refugee camps. It's you were. Yeah, and people what? would say, "Then do you feel safe going down there? You're an American." And, yeah. Uh, uh, and so I would dress more in a a Bedouin way with a scarf and a long we call them distash and. So, try to so you'd kind of fit in with the culture there? Yeah, 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 hmm. during that time um, when I would go down. And I was trying to get more of my Christian background friends um, to give money that I could take down and help with widows and, and, their, and their children. And, hmm. so, and they're doing, again, Bible studies. And yeah. discipling with women. And so you kind of found that um, your your approach was that um, the alliance approach, where it was in smaller groups um, and become like having more of a connection with the ladies and the oh, yeah. single ladies, the widows. That you, way you could connect with them on a deeper level. Yes, and then I remember. Um, Again, you know, the Jordanian custom of people throwing their own birthday parties. And so I uh, was discipling um, one woman who was um, upper middle class, where the senators and all that group, they were upper 
missionary for all those years, you still are learning new things oh. today. Um, oh, that's amazing. Goodness. So important. Like the girls that I'm working with in recovery, uh-huh. 
what what is my heart for them to become like me or to become whole people within their background yeah and becoming the best version of themselves not like right what you and your white privilege has or portraying on other people that makes sense yeah and on my um entitlement thinking yeah and you know if everybody would just become like me then everything then their lives would go better da 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 mm-hmm. um uh, so I just feel like I'm in the middle of such a wake-up time in my life. Wow. Just learning to see people for who they and value them, who they are, not for what I think they should be. Yeah. Or what would make their lives good. I know I'm just rattling off here. Oh, it's great, Betty. I really appreciate it um, because I feel like there's so many people that can learn so much from what you have to offer. Um, that's really why I wanted to do this because, um, you know, if you can wake up and learn new things and read a book when you're 80 years old, um to think of what people could do if they were half your age or, you know, just learning and exploring the the world and having, you know, a book change their life um, about, you know, white entitlement. And I think that's amazing. Well, and for Ben, for you and me, we are so blessed at this point in our lives to have audio books. Yeah. Um, so I get, um, I, because of my dyslexia and the level, I'm able to get talking books. It's a federal program for the blind and handicapped. Uh-huh. And they have thousands and thousands of books on every area you could ever think of. And so, um, like I, one of my neighbors told me about uh, waking up white, so I just called up talking books, and they in a week I had it here on a cassette, and um, could listen to that. Interesting. But, you know, and how much does that cost? Nothing. Huh? It's, it's a program for the blind and disabled, and I'm proudly. Identify as disabled because of my yeah yeah wow but, um it's just that has um I mean I probably listen to uh, maybe at least well two books a week wow because I can do it while I'm getting dressed cleaning house cooking. I uh-huh. rarely just sit down and listen to a book. I can do it while I'm doing other things. And I just um, love to learn. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I love to learn too. And I've found a lot of value in listening to podcasts and um, subscribing to Audible and different uh-huh. mediums um, and self-help and all that kind of stuff. So. I 
I mean, some podcasts I listen to are an hour and a half or, you know, books like we talked about, you know, could be 10 hours long. Yeah. So I think people really enjoy kind of a long form listen. Um, and I think they'll, they'll get a lot out of listening to your journey and um, listening to the stories that you have and how you can relate to people now. Um, you know, through the work that you're doing now, currently, and so I think I, I'm current. I'm always fascinated by um, listening to the things that you are talking about, like the Malcolm X book you were talking about. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I'm listening to. That's a, like a 18 hour book. Whoa! Wow. <laughs> but but um, uh, so I'm only six hours into it right now. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, you know, I think uh, this is good. I think uh, we should leave it there. And, yeah, we can carry um, on another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah that so sounds you good. You get me going and I just, one thing comes in and I think of something else. Yeah. But anyway. Right. Good. Well, thank you so much for even wanting to know. You know, people say, oh, my goodness, you've had so many experiences and I said, you know, living in the Middle East. And I said, oh, well, that was yesterday. You know, I'm living today. I, I, I even forget. So yeah, constantly evolving. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was thinking about that the other day because I was telling somebody about how I used to be a private chef 20 years ago. And I was like, you know, I want to create a memory and a legacy of something that I'm doing today and, um, you know, something that's exciting and I can talk about today. So I think that was another thing that I just want to be present and live in the moment. Um, yeah. That's another reason I'm doing oh, this. Oh, oh, Ben, I, I so resonate with what you're saying because I think so many things that I experienced in the Middle East, I wasn't totally present in the moment and there's so much more I could have um, learned and absorbed and understood. Yeah. So that is a huge challenge for me now to live where I am. And In the grow. present moment. Yeah. Yeah, and grow and try to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, good. Well, thank you so much, Betty. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate the, the stories. Um, do you have any thoughts on what we should call this? The stories with Betty. <laughs> or journey. Yeah, journey, that's a good one. Because I do feel like it, it has been a journey. It will always be a journey. All right. Good, Betty, Betty's journey. Yeah. I like it. Or pilgrimage. A pilgrimage. Yes, my yeah. dad, uh, he, he calls his journey from... Uh, the, the Camino, he hiked the Camino, which is like 500 miles from France through Spain. He did that oh two years ago, this October, and um, he calls that his pilgrimage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, let's see. Um, in Psalm, I just read this yesterday. Psalm 84, verse um Five, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, 
who have set their minds on a pilgrimage. Hmm. Thanks. What a beautiful way to end it. Um, Thank you for that.